Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Well, hey, thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, we have quite a different setup. Pretty smooth. Setup. Yeah, yeah, we captured these guys and uh, convinced them to sit around a table with us for a few minutes today. Yes. Great. Very glad to be able to welcome them to this special edition. Yeah, we have a special edition here. So we have a number of men here who we want to introduce uh, very soon. But uh, let me explain the topic we're going to be getting into today. We uh, are producing another film. No, this is called a. Don't don't tell me it's not a synodoc. It is a docu series. A, doc- a docu series. Another newly coined word. It's a docu series. So um, a number of episodes that are going to be on a variety of topics. With the kind of the main theme being wield the sword. So. How do we actually live the Christian life on the ground, taking God at His word, believing it, and obeying it? As we came out of By What Standard, one of the things that we were both convicted about is how do we get to a place where some of these Marxist, uh, some of this Marxist thought and some of this critical race theory and intersectionality stuff actually got on the ground and was being employed. Some of this mm-hmm. will to power and the exaltation of, um, of kind of humanism. How did all that happen? And it was like, oh boy, because some of our Christianity was just kind of up there in the heavenlies and was never actually touching the ground. Yeah. And so we wanted to address a variety of topics. We have vocation, uh, metaphysics, aesthetics. Uh, education. Education. Manhood, womanhood. So economics, economics yeah. even economics. So yeah. we have a number of topics. And we thought, let's go find guys that we think are doing a great job on uh, these topics. And Three of you, yeah, so. the, the, point, the point of this whole project is that the Word of God has to be utilized. I mean, we, we're in evangelical circles, conservative circles that say, yeah, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, we believe in the infallibility of Scripture, but the, the Scripture that we say is inerrant and infallible has too long been left unused mm-hmm. and not applied on the ground. And so we're looking at these various areas of study and disciplines and saying, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? Does the Bible speak to these issues? And of course it does. So how should Christians think if we're going to be biblical about any number of areas of life? And so these guys that are with us today are on the cutting edge of thinking about some of those things, and we're delighted to have them here. Men who are wielding the sword. So let me start with Dr. Ben Merkel, uh, president of New St. Andrews out in Moscow, Idaho. And uh, we have asked you to address the topic of education with Wheel the Sword, so we're very glad to have you here. And then Rod Martin. Uh, every time I introduce Rod's been a familiar face on the uh, podcast. This will be Rod Pod number 4.0 or something. Um, but uh, every time I always struggle to you explain. Just, you just know you have to cut it short. Whatever, however you introduce him, you have to cut it short. Yes. <laughs> futurist. Of, yeah, Futurist, part of the PayPal mafia that uh, got that going. Um, um, you're involved in managing corporations that you started, business you started, research in biomedical technology? Biotech, a little bit of internet, and and of course I'm on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's right. He's very involved in uh, Baptist life, both in our state and in the National SBC. So Rod's been a real faithful servant of the Lord in multiple uh, multiple levels in the SBC. Is it true, Rod, that you could tell us more about what you do, what you'd have to kill us? 
<laughs> there is some truth to that. Okay, all right. Um, and you're going to be addressing vocation on Wheel the Sword mm -hmm. and uh, maybe dealing with some of the cultural mandate stuff and what does it mean to work in the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Dr. Mark Coppinger, retired professor of Christian philosophy and ethics at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, right. seminary that I went to, did my MDiv and PhD work there, and uh, I actually never got to take classes with you, which is... Boy, what a loss. I know, <laughs> I was, you know Also, Martin's <laughs> former president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, taught at Wheaton, taught at Vanderbilt. Uh, I've told this story earlier today to some folks, but uh, Mark uh, completed a PhD and began teaching philosophy before sensing that he should go to Southwestern Seminary to pick up an MDiv. And so, uh, after a while, I figured out I was sitting in class with a PhD in philosophy from Vanderbilt, so I started trying to sit behind him and watch his notes, you know, and just kind of <laughs> copy his notes. But, but he's also been involved in multiple levels in the SBC, was worked for the executive committee for a while, SBC Life, uh, done a number of things. Indiana State Paper, right? Edited uh, that? Yeah, a state exec in Indiana. State, yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. So uh, grateful to have you guys here with us to talk about these things. Man, thank you. Yeah, as we get started, uh, you don't have to just play in the lane of what you're doing for Wheel the Sword, but just the concept. We've been talking to you guys about the concept as we are approaching the actual filming that we're gonna be doing this week. Um, and, and one of the things that we've been lamenting again is that it seems many modern day evangelicals, even in the reformed evangelical world, uh, seem to be operating kind of with the Christian faith in the upper world, but it's never really, it's not, it doesn't seem to be practice. I mean, you, might, you might say it in a number of ways. Are we taking God at his word? Are we believing and obeying his word? Or are we kind of finding that it's, it's reduced merely um, to a doctrine of justification by faith alone? You're not going to find guys that are stronger on justification by faith alone than us. But, but what does it mean to be sanctified by the word of God? And then what does it mean to live in the world for the Lord Jesus Christ? It seems to me that there's a problem, there's a, that we're not actually wielding the sword. We, we like the sword, we confess the sword to be inerrant. Oh, it's a, I even confess it to be sufficient, but am I actually taking it in my hand and putting it to work? We will sign confessions of faith saying that we believe all kinds of things that the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. But yeah. we don't necessarily then work it out on the street. Okay, so are we crazy or is this really a problem? And if it really is a problem, won't you try to articulate it so we hear it from other voices? Of course it's a problem. And, and you see it everywhere. Actually, Barna just did a, a survey showing that about 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Uh, which tells you plain as day they aren't thinking biblically about whatever it is they're doing. But I would suggest that a lot of the people who do have a Christian worldview aren't really thinking biblically about what they're doing. I, I grew up in a good Southern Baptist church just like I, I would imagine <coughs> most Southern Baptists did. I know we actually do reach some people through evangelism, but it seems to be a little bit more by, by inheritance at times. And uh, we... Uh, we all kind of had the view as teenage boys that the highest and only real calling that you could have scripturally was to be a preacher or if you were really the special forces a missionary of course and that's really not biblical at all every single thing is the lord's everything is a calling i mean you could do things that are wicked i guess that aren't callings you probably can't be called to be a prostitute although god certainly did a good job of redeeming rahab but but you have any legitimate thing is advancing that portion of God's command, which is uh, summarized in the cultural mandate at, at the very least. And obviously God has called relatively few people to be pastors and missionaries. There's a reason 
Mm-hmm. You know, the entire rest of the working out of his creation beyond the sixth day is, is prior to the fall, continued after the fall, restated after the flood, ongoing to the end of Revelation, and oh yes, also because he's God and utterly amazing, he's also going to recreate the men. So you get the other side of the coin through the Great Commission. But if we are if we are inventing a cure for liver fibrosis, or we are doing something that uh, eliminates poverty in a great swath of humanity, that's pushing back the curse too. And it is certainly advancing that cultural mandate that God gave us from the first, and we have to think biblically about all of those things, whether it's being a nurse or an insurance salesman or a president. I was going to say, I, I was thinking about the expression boots on the ground. Um, Ben's been a tanker. I was in infantry. Uh, he was in Marines. I was just in the Army. But uh, at any rate, uh, the ideal, you know, you can have like the Air Force fly over and do grand things, and you can have all kinds of uh, telecommunications and so forth. But until you have boots on the ground, then you don't have that hill. And it strikes me that we can do wonderful things in the pulpit and wonderful things, wonderful things in theology. But unless that person at PayPal, unless that person at Walmart or whatever is is exhibiting Christ with integrity and with grace and so forth and industry and the like, we don't have boots on the ground there. And it's just so wonderful to see people just fan out and make a difference to be salt and light in their areas. I do think of a, of a, of a joke I heard. Uh, it was from a professor at um, Reform Seminary in Jackson. I was at a group of... Uh, of administrators, seminary administrators over on the other side of Florida, and he said, uh, and perhaps you can forgive me in advance for this, but he said there was a fellow who was just drunk and destitute sitting on a curb, uh, perhaps outside Pacific Garden Mission or someplace in Chicago, and and just unwashed and, and wrecked, and the Salvation Army came and picked him up and took him in and gave him a shower and a shave and a cot and a bowl of soup, and then a Baptist came in and wanting to the Lord, and then a Methodist came in and gave him some devotional literature. A Presbyterian came in and taught him some theology. And then an Episcopalian came in and taught him how to engage the broader culture. And then the Salvation Army picked him up off the curb again. Well, the, <laughs> the, point, the point is, so much of the cultural engagement is being co-opted by the culture. Yes. It's being drawn into the culture. And of course, some wonderful things have happened. C.S. Lewis was Anglican and he engaged the culture. But a lot of times it just means capitulation capitulation to the yes. culture and uh, I, I sometimes I put it this way like what, how have we given in to so many things so quickly how, how have we just roll over it strikes me that our chief saint now is Saint Barnabas who just he just loves everybody you know uh, Peter tricked him a little you know in Galatians and like oh well if we've wounded the the Jews we mustn't do this or that and God didn't let Barnabas write scripture he would have given away the store. You know, you get a kind of a tough guy like Paul to come in, and yet we're so tender now, and the whole thing about woundedness and how do you feel and the like, and thank God for Barnabas. I mean, I, I think when he was born, he asked his mom, did that hurt? I mean, he was just <laughs> so sensitive, but sensitivity now is God, yes. and so if we think, and, and, and there are secularists who've written about this, the closing of the American mind, that, you know, that all of a sudden we want everybody to have a safe space and not feel triggered and, and to feel included and, and the like, and after then you just give away the store. So I think that's one reason that we are not using the scripture as a sword, that no, we, we want to give out little huggy bear mm-hmm. things or little, little 
what are those little gel things you can shoot? We just want it that way, and then after that, the game's over. We're not hearing a lot of be strong and courageous. No. And we're certainly not hearing any be gentle as doves and, and wise as serpents. Mm-hmm. First that half, just isn't maybe. there. Mm-hmm. The first half down. is a yeah. great precious moments figure, <laughs> yeah. and we're all about that. Yeah. Hey Ben, you uh, you studied Reformation theology and history. And I'm thinking about Luther's um, uh, the Christian uh, freedom of the Christian man, or, or yes, 1521 uh, right, treatise yeah. on that, in which he lays out this case that yeah, every vocation that is legitimate is a calling of God, and you don't have to be a monk or a priest or mm-hmm. a pastor. And I wonder, as was said earlier, that that vision that Luther worked hard to overcome still lives in the minds of people. And I wonder if it just causes some Christians to think, well, yeah, but I'm I'm just a Christian. I'm not a pastor. So I really don't have to take the Word of God seriously. I'm not thinking seriously about it. I mean, do you find that in what's going on today? And how would Luther help us through that? Well, I do think, um, I think Rod started with that idea of that the explosion of the divide between uh, the sacred and the, and the, and the secular that you have mm. at the Reformation and this idea of the priesthood of all believers that results in every occupation being sacred. And I think the thing that you notice is for the couple of centuries after the Reformation, that's when Western culture just exploded in yeah. terms mm-hmm. of uh, the yeah. scientific re- renaissance. I mean, the world um, was remade by that understanding of taking our... our our love of God and our love of the faith and our worship of God and applying it to all of life. Exactly. And and I think that if we were to recover that now, there is just no telling what kind of just um, intellectual renaissance and scientific renaissance we might still have ahead of us. But I think um, another piece of it I might say would be, um, I, I think going back to the church and really over the last, I don't know, couple of generations, the, the transformation about worship from where this is us coming to see the transcendence of God, the glory of God, and something that's worthy of all of our life, to something that is honestly more about serving us, this sort of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It it trivializes the sacred, which allows the sacred to be so compartmentalized. But I think when when you come to worship and understand the incredible transcendence of God, the largeness of God, the mystery of God, uh, the largeness of Scripture. I mean, that, that's one of the things that, that I think blew me away as I started coming to a more theologically robust understanding of who God was, mm. was suddenly realizing that the Bible was a way larger book than I thought. Mm. Oh, yes. It used to be just these little books, you know, a couple, John 3.16 and a few <laughs> verses in Romans that I knew how to go to. Mm. But suddenly realizing that this, this opens up and explains the whole world um, and, it, and, it's, and it comes from making God large. I think people are scared that if they make God large, it'll make this world small. But when you make God large, then all of a sudden this world is enormous. You, yeah. yes. And it's all for you. So there's a connection between theology and life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we have just assumed for that too long that we've lost it. And some of these, we need to, we need to be not less theological, more practical. We need to be more theological so we can live well. Yes, exactly that. And, and I would add to that that when we get into this space, we frequently divert immediately back to where we were. So, for instance, our company, the Martin Organization, has the Baptist Faith and Message as its explicit statement of faith. My staff actually signs the statement of faith once a year. I mean, we do some pretty cool stuff. We actually have a Bible study every week. We do. Uh, we read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as a staff every week. We are a for-profit company. That's you know, we are not a church. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, that's cool. And I certainly encourage evangelism and all those things. But there's a tendency to think, and that is the extent of ministry right. and business. That isn't, that's barely the beginning of ministry and business. And ministry and business isn't co-opt, well, we'll take PayPal. You know, PayPal should be evangelizing. Well, every single individual at PayPal who is a believer should absolutely be evangelizing. But that's not PayPal's role in the world. PayPal's role in the world in the two and a half years we were there, when we went from zero to 25 million customers in two and a half years, that was cool. That accomplished some neat things in the world. Now it's a $130 billion company, and that's pretty neat. But what we really did was we facilitated the creation of over two million small businesses in two and a half years. That's people who previously were uh, poor or out of work or doing something they didn't want to do and not pursuing their calling in life who suddenly have a way to express their God-given gifts in a way that makes them financially independent and capable of actually contributing to society in a meaningful way. People don't see that as ministry. That's about as big a ministry as it gets. I mean, and it is pushing back the curse. We are, you know, we we tend to think of wealth as the uh, presence of stuff, and that's not really what it is. Wealth is the absence of scarcity. And when Christ returns and makes all things new, there will be zero scarcity, which is to say infinite wealth. So if we are pushing back the curse in a, in a meaningful and concrete way, we are increasing lifespans, we are you know, taking care of widows and orphans and all of the things we're supposed to do in, in that best of ways. We aren't merely telling them to be warm and be filled. We're actually facilitating actual warmth and actual filling. It's still, it's still in people's thought as they hear you talk or hear what, what's been said, there's this division of the sacred and the secular that mm-hmm. people are processing saying, okay hold on I need to think about this because isn't it liberal to say that we're pushing back the curse if we're using some kind of monies and aren't, aren't we just to focus on this certain kind of sphere mm-hmm. I, I really do I believe we are um, you know <coughs> David Wells no place for truth is always running through the back of my mind when it comes to some of this stuff but if I were to kind of chart where I see the evangelical slash reformed evangelical world in America right now on this issue is you have <laughs> You had you had a lot of people just kind of living in the heavenlies and not and mm-hmm. not making this connection. So they were giving in to the division of the sacred and the secular. And then there was a group of people, especially I think young Calvinism, young restless and reformed. I remember ten years ago, um, I, every time I turned on some kind of social media, it, there was another guy wearing plaid in a city, and the god of this city, Chris Tomlin, was behind it. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm the god of this city. We're going to seek the welfare of this city. I'm going to plant a church in New York. I'm going to plant a church in Houston, wherever I'm going. Which is great. Which is really good right yeah and so what I think happened is is that movement went um, but what happened is it became worldly like you were talking about earlier like it just went on this cycle where where it's like we didn't really pack our Bibles with us like right. we, we probably mm-hmm. should have brought the KJV when we went and did that. <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. and yeah. and so what's happened is that uh, guys tried to do that and I think that has eventually gone more like MLK justice yeah. rather mm-hmm. than so. biblical justice mm-hmm. but then I see this whole other there's other ways to go wrong because some guys are thinking well I really want to I really want to make it touch the ground here and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a make America great again song on Sunday morning <laughs> and fly a big American flag and I'm going to develop a whole choir that's mm-hmm. going to do this kind of thing you know I'm just going to rah 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 the 
red state. And it's like, no, that, that's not it either. I mean, well, no. praise God, we're going to be conservative and we're not going to be voting Democrat. You know, amen to all that. But, it's, but that's not really the kind of flavor you want. And then there's these other guys that aren't concerned about it at all. And so something will happen in society, mm. something wicked. And it's like, where are the people of God to say, let's, let's have the, like judges coming and saying, here's what God says, here's where this mm. was right, here's where this was wrong. But there's a whole swath of people that don't want to get into it. And I think, I don't want to get into politics, I don't want to get into social issues. Sure. You know, I just want to focus on this narrow scope. So almost by way of negation, that's what I see, and that's why I'm, I'm excited about this project because it's like, okay, let's 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 really get into it and say, here's the way to to go out into the world for Christ, uh, for pastors to be a pastor in the public square, for men that are not pastors uh, to engage and and have a holistic understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Yeah. yeah. One of the uh, questions that was raised is. How in the world do we care about aesthetics? And, and one of the answers is, well, we all do. We have an aesthetic. I mean, yes. G.K. Chesterton said, you know, if you don't have a well-thought-out philosophy, one's going to have you. And so <laughs> you're going to have an economic view. You're yes. going to have a political view. You're going to have an aesthetic. You're whatever. So it's, it's good to examine these sorts of things. I, one of the best guys I've ever met, and I, I, I hesitate to even bring this up, uh, because he may indirectly hear about this thing, but I, I'll give you this example, and I won't name names, but really a godly man in one of the churches that I was in. And one night we were having pizza and, and with our families, and, uh, well, how'd your week go? And he said, well, and his job was to sell systems, I'll vague this up, systems to corporations or big buildings and so forth. And, and he said, well, I did this and this, and then I had to create a situation. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, you know, he was dragging his feet, the purchasing guy, and, and I needed the sale, and they needed the system, and it was all good, but he just couldn't bring it about. And so he said, prices are going up in October. Well, they weren't. But he, the guy got moving, and he bought it, and he was happy. They were good. I was good. It's all good. And, and it's like, whoa, you just lied? I mean, yeah, really. you know, it's as though Jesus is really good, like with shepherds, you know, and he doesn't know algebra, but, you know, he's pretty good at Roman things with sandals. Yeah. But he doesn't, know, he doesn't know business, you know. Right. So here That's we go. We're going to we're gonna do our business here, and uh, we'll go to church and the like. And this guy, again, wonderful guy. But he just had that bifurcation going. Yes. And it's like, come on. <clears throat> One other thing I'll mention, it, it connects to the Barnabas point. This is a very tricky thing. It's just, it's just uh, radioactive. But the notion of divorce and remarriage in the church and... I took a firmer line than a predecessor in one place and found myself in the midst of Chernobyl. And uh, I remember someone would come in and they would want their son to have a second or third marriage or marry a divorced person who wasn't a Christian or whatever. And they wanted me to wait, work it out, you know. And I've heard this more than once. It's like, well, I just want my little girl to be happy or my son to be happy. And I listened and listened for years, and I never heard someone come in and say, I just want my little girl to be holy. Right. And we want them to be happy, so happiness rules. And then the bifurcation, like, okay, we'll do this, and then God, keep your hands off that. I'm, I'm a businessman. I mean, I know it's spilled business, no, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I say, but he just, he wasn't aware of it. He just, I mean, he knew I was a man of the claw, you know? But he just threw that out, like, mm -hmm. you know, this is how it works. I think, no, it's, it's not how it works. Yeah, it Cartman, Cartman and, and it doesn't need to be. I mean, yeah. we find that, and we work at this, obviously, as I said, we find that any business principle that would ever serve you is in the Word. 
and we spend, I mean, uh, again, Bible study every mm. week. We're reading Genesis to Revelation every year. Mm. We spend a shocking amount of time in books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Lamentations. And, you know, these are not places that the church dwells a great deal at all, except maybe Hal Lindsey. And, mm. uh, you know, businesses certainly don't. But the principles are all there. Yeah. The principles are there in Judges. The principles yeah. are there in the law. The principles <laughs> are there in Romans and Hebrews. And, and it's, it's amazing what Scripture speaks to. It is amazing the comprehensiveness of Scripture in, in every topic under heaven. And all of it is wise. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but we also know that in all that getting, get wisdom, for it is the principal thing. So why would we not be doing that? If we are Christians, why are we not thinking Christianly about all topics? It, it can, I think that's a question I'd love to hear you all speak to. If it's true that in the Reformation, in the wake of the Reformation, you had this recovery, in this, mm -hmm. this um, why are we not right now more like the reformers, like what, what are, where do we go wrong so we can go back and try to fix it? I think one of the problems is, well, let me push back on, on an earlier comment. The, the, um, the notion that we're supposed to seek the peace of the city, I, I hear that a lot, but I, I question the exegesis behind it simply because those were the marching orders given to a people who were told to hang out and wait before mm -hmm. they go back to <coughs> Jerusalem. And the thing is, is those are not our current marching orders. If we go to the Great Commission, our current marching orders are to evangelize the world, to baptize them, and then to teach them to obey everything yes. that God has mm -hmm. commanded, which yeah. requires exactly what you're describing right there, the thorough understanding of Scripture and the understanding of how it applies in every aspect of our life. And I think we are far, um, I don't know, we're not nearly as ambitious as we ought to be because we're not supposed to seek the peace of the city, we're supposed to take the city, which is a, a very a very different thing. Yes, and and I, I would say that it, it comes back to the pulpit too, because all this is in the Word, mm -hmm. and we believe in expository preaching. I mean, I don't know anybody in our circles that would uh, say, oh, expository preaching is a bad thing. But understanding what the overall storyline of the scripture is yes. and seeing how we preach any given text in the light of the whole text, um, I don't think that is as clear in the thinking of a lot of folks as it should be. To recognize that, yeah, man, there's nothing in the world, no legitimate engagement that should not and cannot be informed by the word. And we need the, the pastors, the preachers, need to be setting that before God's folks. And, and what, I, what I said a while ago, I think, is, is increasingly clear to me that it is a divorce of right good biblical theology from real life that causes us to live the way that that we have that confuses people and has brought us into the mess we have so I when people would say man you guys are straight on justification by faith but we got to really do life over here no I I think it's because we're not as clear as we ought to be on justification by faith. Yes, exactly. That folks are messed up and they're not living as joyfully, hopefully, mm -hmm. as ambitiously as they ought to be. Yeah. And if we get that straight, then man, you're free to risk everything. Yes. If God loves exactly. you and is for you and he's given his son to die on the cross for your sins and Jesus lives because he conquered death and he's interceding for you now, yeah. then what legitimate <clears throat> God-honoring endeavor that comes into my realm of opportunity, should I just back away from, so oh, no, 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 I can't do that, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah. or you know, that's not worth engaging. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true, and, and you were talking about science earlier in, in the context of the era immediately after the Reformation. 
we are in one of the most science-driven eras. No, we are in the most science-driven era in human history. I mean, maybe there was something before the flood that we don't know about, but it is extraordinary the rate of increase of knowledge. It is, it is absolutely staggering, and the more you know about this, the more you realize you don't know much of anything. And that's just increasing. Now, all of those things, if they are not brought to the throne of Christ, are going to be rooted in false presuppositions. And I don't know if anybody teaches this in, in our gender studies classes we have in our schools now, but when I was a kid, you know, we'd have a computer class and we were taught garbage in, garbage out. If, if you know, a computer's a nice machine, but it runs whatever you put into it through a series of steps and it churns out, uh, you know, whatever it comes up with based on the logic of those steps. But if the premise is flawed, the result is necessarily flawed which we're seeing with computer models right and left right now in, in lots of topics. So, so if you have an ever-increasing number of scientific theories that are rooted in false premises, and then you're stacking theory upon theory upon theory, eventually you're going to get so far from truth that it simply bears no resemblance to the real world at all. Mm -hmm. By contrast, you know, it is the glory of God to hide a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And he's not just talking about a government program. I mean, you know, the, the president of Google is, is a bit of a king, too, and certainly his kingdom is richer than most of the kingdoms of this world. So, so as, they, as they discover new things, as they apply old things to new problems, again, they are, in fact, regardless of their intent, pushing back the curse. They are actively increasing wealth, which is to say decreasing scarcity for a growing number of people. And if you invent a new medical procedure, that means people live longer. That's not some abstract thing or money in some bank account. That's grandma living 10 years more. That's, that's a wife not being widowed. That's children growing up with parents. And, and all of these things matter. They, they don't matter more than the gospel, but clearly the gospel is leading toward an age in which sin and death are no more and all things are made new. So if we are acting creatively in the image of our Father who is the ultimate creator, this is a good and holy thing in and of itself. In addition, Oh wait, it provides opportunity and wealth to spread the gospel and to do so credibly because I'll guarantee you it will be much easier for Peter Thiel to get on television and speak his philosophy than it will be for some mediocre janitor somewhere. Now, if the janitor is really good, he might very well stand before CEOs, just as Bezalel stands before kings. These, these things are biblical too. And, and actually, on this note, and I'll hush about this, but one of the biggest problems of not living our faith in this era is kind of this whole mediocrity for Jesus thing that the church has going. Oh, well, if I put an ichthus on the back of my car, it's all holy. That's not true. We know to this day about 
Oholiab and and Bezalel and Hiram because they were extraordinary, because they were excellent. We're still talking about their work. We're still talking about their bronze altars and their their temple utensils and and these things are because they actually saw everything as under the Lord and worked constantly as under the Lord in all things. That is a great witness. That is an extraordinary testimony. And here we are thousands of years later, remembering their names and you'll probably preach a sermon on them at some point because they were great. They were not just, oh, well, I'm just getting along for Jesus. No, they actually took it seriously. And I, I, amen what you're saying about excellence and, and the mediocrity. I'm going to bracket it just a little bit. Um, I was at uh, the American Philosophical Association meeting, I think it was in Cincinnati back around 1975 or something like this, and I was looking to teach in a Baptist school and there were no openings, but I asked a guy from, I think he was from Furman University, and I said, you know, how are things going and are you committed to the, to your founding vision and the like? And he said, you know, not, not so much, As, and he said, I t- tried to figure out what happened, and he said, it's when we started promoting the word excellence. That's yeah. very odd. But what it meant was that we want to be well thought of in the world's eyes. We, <laughs> exactly. want, to, we want to show up in whatever yes. the U.S. News and World Report listings, or we want to get the kudos from the magazines mm-hmm. and the like. So sometimes you can start playing to, to the world. Again, that's Absolutely. not real excellence, but that's yeah. gaming it. I'll go back to the other end. I love your quotation from Proverbs. We, we mustn't think that you've really got to like master Proverbs and go in deep studies here and here to push back the curse a bit. There have been a variety of studies, there are a variety of studies saying uh, if you do these five things or these six things and you have a 99% chance or 95% chance of not being in poverty, finish high school, yes. don't do drugs, yes. don't be a drunk or something, hold a job for a year and don't get pregnant out of wedlock. It's not like rocket science. It's just if you would just do the basic minimal Christian things, chances are you're not going to be in a terrible position. Let me pitch in one more thing about one of the real problems I think is so many people are terrified. We are so soggy with our stuff and with our reputations and with our money and with our vacations and with our you know, our cable and you know whatever. And I saw this thing actually it was through through a youth publication. I read it and then I saw it actually exemplified at uh, near Astoria, Oregon. Um, it used to be the case for the U.S. before you had the Coast Guard, you had the U.S. Life Saving Service, and there was also a Treasury packet thing or something, and they consolidated them in the Coast Guard. But all up and down the coast, whether it's Atlantic, Pacific, Great Lakes, you had these little stations, and a guy from the USLL, USLSS would be in a hut there, and these ships would be going along, and they'd hit sandbars or have one difficulty or another. Well, he was out there lonely, and he had a boat, but he had this huge X. And he could lift and, he, and, a, and a mortar, and he would shoot this string out there, try to snag in the rigging, and then they would pull in a rope, and then they'd set up a breeches buoy, and the X then would rise up, and that way he could bring the rope out of the surf, and then they would transfer people off. Well, that's good stuff, but sometimes it wouldn't work. Sometimes he couldn't hit the rigging. And the quote, and I've seen this on the wall of a maritime museum in Astoria, Oregon, it says, you have to go out, you don't have to come back. And the deal was, if this doesn't work, you've got a boat, and you don't do the math. You don't think, look, I probably can't get anybody. If I do, we may capsize. It's not, no, forget the math. You have to go out. If you get back, we may give you a medal. If you don't get back, we may give you a medal. 
so many people when it comes to integrity there I mean I think of, uh, of a lady I know who worked with uh, Sesame Street and she stood up to Jim Henson on something about being cute with the occult on something and they withdrew a character and you think wait you're in the Sesame Street you, you're gonna lose your job this is a plum you have to go out yes. you don't have to come back yes. and so many of our people even though they know the right thing to do they're terrified yeah. that they'll lose their deal mm -hmm. And so we also not only have to give them wisdom and insight about their vocation, but also just the Holy Spirit, God's theology gumption to do their thing as well. Well, just very briefly on your point about excellence, since I use the examples of Bezalel and yeah. Hiram, right. how were they excellent? They rigorously implemented the exact instructions of God. Absolutely. Well, good point. And, yeah. and Sometimes we actually do assess excellence as what some consultant said or right. what CNN says. Right. And that is a That's a difference. That's a difference. That you're is right. a big deal. So yeah. I, I completely affirm what okay. you were saying. Okay. I think that happens when you're you start seeking the mojo of the city, you know, uh, where, yes. where you're, <laughs> yeah. you're you confuse the idea of taking God's truth to them to making yourself appealing or appeasing yeah. their gods. I think, I think another part of it is um, within the church, and I think this is particularly striking for um, evangelical pastors, is that we really struggle with how to um, teach on and exhort a godly kind of ambition. I think ambition is yeah. a really, particularly masculine ambition, which is aggressive and causes problems and all mm -hmm. kinds of things, and we um, we elevate niceness above that, yes. and so uh, we really struggle with cultivating that, and so that's why those guys have to find business gurus to be their mentors. Yeah. I, I, uh -huh. um, yeah. One of my side gigs, I coach a, um, our local Christian um, school's uh, high school lacrosse team, mm -hmm. so the, the varsity lacrosse, I'm the varsity lacrosse coach, and it's really, um, it's funny to me how uh, every season we are by far and away the highest rated team for sportsmanship. Mm -hmm. um, we will, after every game, the opposing coach, families, the refs will all come and congratulate us on our sportsmanship, which I really appreciate, but um, we're not very high in the rankings. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the, um, we, we, we are very good at being polite and kind and all of that, but we do struggle with knowing how to want something and to go for it in a way that glorifies mm. God. And, and, um, and I think that in our, our secular, um, in, our, in our jobs that are out in the, in the world, we don't look to the church for guidance. We look to the books that you find in the mall at the airport. It's good. Mm. It's good. If you zoom out from this, uh, from a number of particulars, we cover the waterfront um, to, um, one thing you said, Ben, and one thing you said, Tom, that that's kind of a scary thought is <laughs> how it can be just inverted, right? I talked about how the Young Restless and Reform Movement was very passionate about going out and seeking the welfare of the city. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, see, the problem is, we're well, supposed to go, but what you're supposed to be doing is right. tearing down the walls of Jericho. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like, it's like, ooh, because mm -hmm. you, you had the same kind of direction, but it was the, it, it was the exact repair. opposite. Yeah. And then, like what Tom said, uh, it, the doctrinal connection to the practice. It's not like you need uh, less doctrine and more practice. You need more doctrine and more practice. And, yes. and, and what's happening, if you're actually not getting the practical part right, 
which we've lamented, mm -hmm. we're really not. You're saying you're actually not getting justification That's right. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, I, I keep seeing this repeated again and again, even in like some of the doctrine of God issues, which mm -hmm. is kind of going into the deep end of the pool, but some of the theistic personalism stuff that's come out recently over against the transcendence of God, which you referenced earlier in worship, there's something about that, a fear of like Romans 1 of actually creating, uh, worshiping the, the creature rather than the creator while having the veneer of worshiping the creator. So if you look at like American, it's still like evangelical, still a whole voting block that the president has to, has to acknowledge and the Southern Baptist Convention is still a massively influential, like everything kind of looks good on, on the face of it in one, in one perspective. But if we take some of these scary inversion kind of things, it's like, oh boy, we might have real problems. It's not like we can't sit here and go, what we're trying to do with wheel disorder in one sense, it's not saying we have a whole lot of things right, we just need to fix this part. Mm -hmm. It's really going, we might be actually living something that's not really what we claim it to be. Yeah, the foundations need to be reexamined. I think it's mm -hmm. a scary thing. And again, I include myself in this, include our church in this, so it's not like we're standing on some high mountain looking down on people. Mm. Same, brothers and sisters, we have been breathing this air for a long time now, and we have prided ourselves, and yes, we're people of the book, and yes, we believe in inerrancy, and what we need to do is humbly open the book and be willing to be examined and be willing to be reproved and corrected where the book mm -hmm. does so. Mm -hmm. The Second Timothy 3, 16, 17 passage, uh, the scriptures read out by God, profitable in four things it's profitable for. Two of them are negative. Two of yeah. them are negative. Mm -hmm. For correction, yeah. for reproof. Mm -hmm. And if we're not being re corrected and reproved pretty regularly when we're reading the Bible, we're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Incidentally, in seizing the, the the city or taking it back, I, you know, you have that kind of a Muslim thing too. Like we'll extend the Ummah and or and not, you know get the whole thing going. We seek to persuade men. So at the heart of it, we persuade. And, and by the way, we believe in separation of powers, which comes from the fallenness of man and, and so forth. So there are laws to institute, but our main thing is to persuade men by our example and by our lives. And a lot of people can't tell the difference between us and anybody else out there, and we don't persuade either yeah. way. Persuasion, in, internal to external, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we are seeking, uh, you must be born again. Yeah. And when you're yeah. born again, this yeah. is what's going to happen as the fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, this is interesting, because we'll start talking about this, and I can hear people might go, oh boy, this is sounding kind of like jihad. Now, mm -hmm. You know, what are you talking about? But actually, no, we're trying to fix the jihad that we're actually already kind of running, because very often we, we and even in American evangelicalism, we're external to internal. We're mm -hmm. political first. Let's mm -hmm. replace all the bureaucrats, and then we're mm -hmm. going to have the kingdom of God arrive. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like, no, it's not going to work like that. It's got to come through mm -hmm. through proclamation of the word, uh, new birth, where we are able to take God at His word and uh, and follow Christ. I think that's the only lasting way to go about it. I would do both. And you know, you had Rod Dreyer's Benedict option, and okay, we've lost. You know, let's get in and keep everything pure in the bunker. I think, yeah, get things pure in the bunker, but. Yes, get engaged, and, and um, thank God for the, some of the judges I know who are being appointed. One pushback against the crazy Absolutely. Louisville mayor said you can't go to church, I mean, you can't even meet in your cars. So I like that external, it's rational, it's decent, and so forth, but it's not gonna last unless the inside is Amen. right. You can't sustain it, so. Well, 
Well, yes, absolutely. And and at the same time, you're exactly right to say it's a both and. Mm. and there's a tendency to create false dichotomies. Mm. Oh, well, salvation is not political, therefore we shouldn't do politics. Well, that's idiotic. So we're going to mm. just be ruled by people who hate Jesus? Is that really your plan? <laughs> is that really what Christians should seek? Yeah. I mean, that's just dumb. And, and at the same time, of course politics saves no one, mm-hmm. but politics is salt. We're going to preserve justice to the degree possible in a nation that is, in many respects, built on Christian belief. And at the same time, we're going to go forth with the various other things we do, principally the Great Commission, and be light. And we're going to dispel darkness, and we're going to bring more and more things into conformity with the likeness of His Son. And it, it, these are this is not an either-or in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why is it an either-or in the church? Mm-hmm. Man, guys, this has been so good. Um, Ben, looking forward to what you're bringing Wheel of the Sword with education. And Rod, you're teed up soon to be addressing vocation. And uh, Dr. Coppinger here, you've already um, gone on aesthetics mm. and talking about uh, John the Baptist and how he was a beautiful man. <laughs> uh, or something along the gnarly, gnarly man. Yeah, that's, a, that's like an Easter egg moment. Get ready for what's coming with uh, Dr. Coppinger. So thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Uh, just a word. Thank you for those who are helping us and supporting the work of Wield the Sword. Uh, you can go to founders.org and find our Wield the Sword page which spells out the project and uh, lists the various topics that we'll be addressing. And thank you to our fan members, our Founders Alliance membership. For those of you who support us on a monthly basis, we're grateful for uh, all of your prayer and encouragement and take advantage of the resources that we continue to pump out. Uh, do pray for us as we go about this project. Very much looking forward to uh, dropping it. It will be coming episodically, so you're not going to get the whole load of 15 episodes in one shot, uh, but we're going to be having some out, come out very soon. So thanks again for listening to The Sword of the Trial. Thank you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks very much.